Welcome back to Heavy Hitter Sports. As always, our focus is on game-changing athletes, teams, and business leaders, and how they battled adversity to achieve success. Life is all about choices. Some are big, like where we go to college, who we marry, or what career we pursue. But during this restrictive pandemic world, the most enjoyable daily decision many of us make is what we're having for dinner. One choice that I make every day is where to take my afternoon walk. During a new route earlier this week, I began thinking about possible topics for my next episode. I reflected on the athlete that I most admire, the one that I find most inspirational. While theoretically we choose the teams that we root for, in reality we inherit these teams largely based on our family favorites. Because my mom and dad lived in San Francisco and rooted for the 49ers and Giants, so do I today. And when our family later moved to Portland, I adopted the Trailblazers as my NBA team. Having received both of my degrees from the University of Southern California, I'm a Trojan at heart. What athlete do I most admire? Given my list of favorite teams and age, you might think that it's Ronnie Lott, Marcus Allen, Steve Young, Willie Mays, Buster Posey, or Damian Lillard. And yes, I do revere each of these men, but my personal choice for most inspirational athlete goes to Jackie Robinson. And that's fitting since we just celebrated Jackie Robinson Day on April 15th, the date annually recognized throughout Major League Baseball since 2009. Why Jackie? Well, Robinson broke the Major League color barrier 10 years before I was born. But as a young baseball player and a lifelong fan of the game, I grew up with Jackie being ever-present. And I believe that his amazing combination of talent, grit, and impact is unrivaled in sport. Jackie was clearly more than an athlete. He was a true pioneer, and after retirement, he became a notable civil rights leader whose wise words are just as valuable today as when he stepped on to Ebbets Field for the first time wearing that Brooklyn Dodger uniform. Jackie famously proclaimed, there's not an American in the country free until every one of us is free. Now, I'm not a romantic. My decisions are typically ruled more by my brain than my heart. So my admiration for Jackie also comes back to choices, those that he made himself and those made by other pivotal people in his life. And these monumental decisions trump the fact that Jackie played for the arch rivals of my USC and Giants teams, that being UCLA and the Dodgers. In this episode, let's examine the 10 decisions that changed Jackie's life and ultimately transformed the game of baseball and the entire country. Pivotal choice number one was made by Jackie's mom, Molly, when she took her five boys from their one-room plantation cabin in Georgia and headed west to Pasadena. After her husband deserted the family when Jackie was only six months, Molly packed up and relocated to a white neighborhood in sunny Southern California at the encouragement of her brother. Escaping from these humble origins would lead Jackie down a brighter path in life. Pivotal choice number two is Jackie's decision to focus on sports as a means of fitting in or being accepted at high school, later at Pasadena City College, and ultimately UCLA. The Robinsons were the only black family in the neighborhood, but Jackie quickly learned that he could make friends and gain respect by excelling on fields, courts, and blacktops. Athletics would also prove to be the ticket for Jesse's older brother, Mac, who ran for the University of Oregon. Blessed with blazing speed, Mack would snatch the silver medal in the 200-meter race in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, finishing just behind Jesse Owens. Mack and Jackie's grandparents were slaves in Georgia. Think about how their mom, Molly, must have rejoiced seeing one of her sons conquer the racist ideology of Adolf Hitler and his Nazi party. Jackie himself flourished athletically in college. He lettered in four sports at UCLA, football, basketball, baseball, and track and field. 
the only Bruin to ever do so. Jackie was an All-American fullback, averaging 12 yards per carry. He also won the NC2A title in the broad jump, now known as the long jump. While at UCLA, Jackie met the love of his life, Rachel. It should be noted that while racism was less overt in L.A. than in the South, it clearly existed. For instance, the university had no black professors at the time. Jackie's athletic achievements would make him famous nationwide. And when he left college, he was renowned as the greatest athlete in America. Professional sports were not an option yet for blacks, so what next? Jackie considered becoming a teacher, but he had left college before receiving his degree due to financial considerations. Pivotal choice number three is Jackie's decision to join the Army. Remember, this is 1942, so the U.S. is fully engulfed in World War II. Robinson moves up the ranks quickly and becomes the second lieutenant. On July 6, 1944, though, racism raises its ugly head in Fort Hood, Texas. Jackie jumps onto a military bus, and the driver tells Robinson, quote, to get to the back of the bus where the colored people belong. Jackie knew his rights and the fact that all races were equally welcome on military buses. In turn, he stood his ground when brought to the guardhouse to make a statement. Robinson was confronted with a number of made-up charges, which were later dropped, but he was made to stand trial for insubordination. The nine judges quickly found Robinson not guilty. It was a small victory, Jackie later said, for I had learned that I was in two wars, one against the foreign enemy and the other against prejudice at home. At this point, Robinson was fed up with the army and asked to be released, and thus he received an honorable discharge. This experience would have a lasting impact on Jackie. As he later explained, I am not concerned with your liking or disliking me. All I ask is that you respect me as a human being. Pivotal choice number four is Jackie's decision to sign a contract in 1945 to play for the Kansas City Monarchs, one of the top teams in the Negro Baseball Leagues. Life was exceptionally tough in those Negro Baseball Leagues, as discriminatory Jim Crow laws were still in effect in the South. Travel was brutal, conditions were challenging, and the ballparks were lacking. But now back on the baseball diamond, Jackie excelled. He hit 387 with the Monarchs and lit up the base pass with his sizzling speed. In my last podcast episode, I highlighted the idiotic decision made by the Boston Red Sox to trade Babe Ruth to the Yankees for $125,000 in 1920. Well, the Sox made another grievous error in mid-April 1945 when they passed on signing Robinson to a contract after a tryout. So rather than being the first major league team to integrate, they would ultimately be last. But Jackie's amazing on-field achievements did catch the eye of Brooklyn Dodgers president and GM Branch Rickey. Choice number five is arguably the most pivotal in Robinson's journey. It involves Branch Rickey's decision to break the long-standing color barrier in baseball. Let's take a moment to set the context. Baseball's almighty commissioner was Kennesaw Mountain Landis. He contended that it was up to the club owners and managers to make the integration call. Landis claimed that, quote, Negroes are not barred from organizational baseball by the commissioner and never have been during my 21 years that I have served. While this was technically true, baseball needed no written rule. It was simply understood that there was no room in the game for players of color. In 1943, Landis revealed his duplicity and the prevailing major league stance with this comment. The colored ballplayers have their own league. Let them stay in their own league. After Landis passed away, though, he was replaced with Happy Chandler, who had previously served as a Kentucky senator 
and was far more progressive. Tom Dewey, running for New York governor, also supported integrating baseball. Of course, it helped that New York was the most liberal city in America at the time. Although he never finished high school, Brantz Rickey was thought by many to be the smartest man in baseball at the time. The shifting tides in the MLB office and state politics fortified Rickey's mission to open the doors to black ball players and thus win more games and generate additional club revenue. That's the beauty of sport. The quest for winning rules above all else despite resistance to change. And as Ricky explained, the greatest untapped reservoir of raw talent in the history of the game is the black race. Pivotal decision number six involves Branch Ricky selecting Jackie to lead the charge towards integrating the game. Ricky seriously considered other talented players who were toiling in the Negro Leagues, most notably Larry Doby, Don Newcomb, Roy Campanella, and Monty Irvin. But Jackie was exceptionally bright and had gone to college, played with whites, didn't drink or smoke, and served in the Army. The red flag, though, was Robinson was known to have a temper. Ricky called Robinson to his office to talk. For three hours, Ricky explained the worst things that Jackie could expect from hostile quarters. Robinson asked, Mr. Ricky, do you want a ball player who's afraid to fight back? Ricky answered, I want a ball player with enough guts not to fight back. You will symbolize a crucial cause. One incident, just one incident, can set it back 20 years. Branch went on to say, Jackie, we've got no army. There's virtually nobody on our side, no owner, no umpires, very few newspaper men, and I'm afraid that many fans will be hostile. We'll be in a tough position. We can only win if we can convince the world that I'm doing this because you're a great ball player and a fine gentleman. Ricky's innovative nature and resolute courage ensured his place as perhaps the greatest non-playing figure in baseball history. With the contract signed, Jackie joined the Montreal Royals, thus breaking the minor league color barrier on April 18, 1946. Robinson took the International League by storm, hitting 349 and scoring 113 runs. But obstacles did arise. Jackie was only making $5,000 a year, so he supplemented his income by selling household appliances on the side. And resistance came from fans, other clubs, teammates, and even his own manager. Initially, Robinson's manager actually questioned Jackie's humanity. But he grew to respect Jackie and shook Robinson's hand at the end of the season, saying, You're a great ball player and a fine gentleman. It's been wonderful having you on the team. Pivotal decision number seven is Robinson's call to honor his pledge to Ricky and gracefully absorb all punches thrown. On April 15, 1947, Jackie suited up and played his first major league game. Robinson's appearance garnered nationwide attention since his big league debut countered the institutional racism that had disgraced the game since its inception in 1869. 14 of the 26,000 fans who attended Jackie's first game as a Dodger were African-American. While Jackie received full support from the black community, many of his teammates resented playing with Jackie. In fact, three Dodger teammates drew up a petition saying that they would rather be traded than play with a black teammate. Ricky quickly ordered manager Leo DeRocher to halt the rebellion, which he did for the most part. Thankfully, Leo was a supportive ally to Jackie. In his words, I don't care if a guy is yellow or black or if he has stripes like a frickin' zebra. I am a manager of this team, and I say he plays. What's more, I say that he can make us all rich. But Dixie Walker, the most popular of the pre-Robinson Dodgers, insisted on being traded and was ultimately. It took 35 years, but Walker would later admit to a sports writer that, in quotes, 
Jackie Robinson was a great player. Numerous fans showed their disdain for Jackie through racist taunts, hate mail, and even death threats. Many imposing players and managers were also dismayed by Jackie's entrance into the game. The Phillies owner, Bob Carpenter, actually threatened to pull his team off the field if Robinson played. Threats like this actually helped band the Dodgers together. The National League commissioner, Ford Frick, also came to Robinson's defense. The sands were shifting quickly because a year prior, Frick had co-authored a major league report recommending against the integration of baseball. Despite the obstacles and the adversity thrown his way, Jackie honored his commitment to Ricky and endured the pain largely in silence. Jackie often lived in separate hotels from his Dodger teammates, given the oppressive Jim Crow laws. And this led to some calling Jackie, in quotes, the loneliest man in baseball. Jackie's wife, Rachel, an exceptional and accomplished woman in her own right, said it was us against the world. Another baseball pioneer and former KC Monarchs teammate, Buck O'Neill, had this to say about Jackie. For Jackie to play in the major leagues, that meant that one white boy wasn't going to play. We had played against these fellas, and they knew we could play. And they knew if we were allowed to play, a lot of them wouldn't play. See, Jackie was the ideal person for that job because I knew fellows at the time that were better than Jackie, but I don't think that they could have taken the insults and things like that. He was the only one that could have carried the load because he knew that if he had done something wrong, he would set it back 50 more years. Buck would later get to the majors himself, first as a scout and then as the first black coach in big league baseball. Jackie's quiet resolve and stellar performance helped him win the respect of most of his teammates, managers, and opposing players. He had 297, scored 125 runs, and led the National League in steals with 29. And at the end of the season, Robinson was crowned Rookie of the Year. More importantly for Dodger fans, Robinson led Brooklyn to their first pennant in six years. Leo, his manager, summed up Robinson's contribution as such. Jackie was a great competitor who could do it all. He was a great player, a manager's dream. If I had to go to war, I'd want him on my side. Pivotal choice number eight is the mutual general manager and player decision to liberate Jackie during the 1949 season. Jackie had paid his dues in 47 and 48 by turning a cheek to angry fans, teammates, opposing players, and umpires. But Ricky agreed that Robinson's full personality and strength should now be released. This was welcome news to Jackie, who rewarded Ricky and his teammates by winning the league's most valuable player award. 342, scored 122 runs, and drove in 124 and stole 37 bases. Unleashing Jackie would spur the Dodgers to six National League titles in 10 seasons. In 1955, at the age of 36, Jackie would play a key role and help his club to its first and only World Series title after having lost five times before to their crosstown rivals, the Yankees. Sadly, Ricky had left the Dodgers in 1950 after a dispute with fellow owner Walter O'Malley, so he never saw the fruits of his labor fully realized in Brooklyn. Jackie's dynamic style of play also provided the game with a new, more aggressive and exciting personality. By the end of his 10-year career, Robinson had evolved from being one of the most hated men in sports to one of his most beloved. We've come to choice number nine, Jackie's decision to become a civil rights leader following his retirement. 
After being traded to the Giants in 56, Jackie hung up his cleats with a lifetime batting average of 311. He then retreated to suburban Connecticut with Rachel and their three kids. Robinson would craft a very successful business career by becoming a vice president at Chock Full of Nuts, co-founding the Freedom Bank in Harlem, and establishing the Jackie Robinson Construction Corporation to help fund low-income housing. Most importantly, Jackie would continue to be a force for good in America, for he would use his fame and his popularity to be a visible and powerful activist for civil rights. Robinson became an enthusiastic supporter of the NAACP. Martin Luther King was 18 and attending Morehouse College during Jackie's first year in the bigs. The two men would later come to admire and frequently support each other. Jackie had served as an inspiration to Martin, and he attended King's I Have a Dream speech. King would later call Robinson a sit-inner before sit-ins, a freedom rider before freedom rides. Sadly, Jackie was diagnosed with diabetes at age 37 suffered multiple health issues after retirement, and would pass away in 1972 from a heart attack at a very young age of 53. The following year, Rachel created the not-for-profit Jackie Robinson Foundation as a means of honoring her husband and his great achievements. At the age of 98 today, she still champions Jackie's cause. The final notable choice in Robinson's life was made by baseball's Hall of Fame and the MLB office. In 1962, Robinson was inducted into the Hall of Fame, another African-American first. Fittingly, he was admitted into the hall as soon as he became eligible, five years after retirement. More notably, Jackie's number 42 jersey was retired throughout the major leagues in 1997. No other player or coach in the game can wear number 42, except annually on Jackie Robinson Day when the entire league dons the renowned number on their backs. This unique and touching tradition, which began in 2009, dutifully denotes Robinson's significant contribution to the game and society. In wrapping up, I'd like to leave you with my favorite Robinson quote, a life is not important except in the impact that it has on others. Jackie's a true hero. He motivated and positively impacted millions via his fearless actions on and off the diamond, his courage, dignity, and ability to overcome obstacles and adversity is unmatched in sports history. In today's challenging and turbulent times, I encourage you to be brave. Keep pushing ahead despite the obstacles being thrown your way. Fight for what matters most to you. It doesn't have to be a grand and glorious cause as in Jackie's case. Your quest may come in the form of a new job, a better relationship with a loved one, overcoming a health challenge, or fighting for social justice in your own manner. Just don't rest on your laurels. For as Jackie would say, How you played in yesterday's game is all that counts. I appreciate you listening to my tribute to Jackie Robinson, the athlete that I most admire. I encourage you now to take a moment and reflect on the figure that most inspires you. What makes them so notable and special? And what quality can you emulate in order to overcome the adversity that you might be facing? Thanks for tuning in to Heavy Hitter Sports. Until next time.